just a minute. But I want you to know that God gives us people to help us with life. So God puts people in our lives to help us with life. Now, that could be a school teacher. It's somebody that God has placed in our life to help us in school and learning things. It could be a coach. Some of y'all I've seen uh, play softball and baseball this year, and some of the coaches I'm a little concerned about. But uh, anyhow, theoretically, God places coaches over us, and they may teach you sports, but you know, I'm a big proponent that sports is a great way to teach about life. So, I don't know, you may have a dance instructor or a cheerleader instructor or somebody else that teaches you something like that. Uh, God also puts, like, life group teachers in our life. And so, you know, 9.30 when we get here on Sunday mornings, they teach us the Bible and, and things, and that's very important. But there's another group that God places in our life to help us with life, and that is our parents. Hmm. Or maybe you're raised by grandparents. Uh, but God puts people in our lives to help us. And actually, parents help us in all of the areas I've just talked about. Education, sports, uh, church, spiritual matter, matters, all those things. And so what I want you to know is that there are people that God has placed in your life to help you. And the Bible says that we are to listen to them and actually, the Bible says we are to obey them. And I want to teach you a scripture today. Brother Steve may put it on the screen. <gasps> He's so good. And this is a scripture I taught my kids when they were your age or younger. And it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, 1. Is this the way you wanted me to say that to them? Yes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.1. Now, the way I taught my kids scripture when they were your age is I would just say it. It was before they read. I don't know y'all are reading, but um, before they could read, I would just say it, and they would repeat it back to me, and so we're going to do that this morning. So I'm going to say a phrase, and you repeat it back to me. You ready? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've already messed it up. Children, obey your parents, obey your parents. in the Lord, in the Lord. For, this is right. for this is right. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, 1. Oh, why don't we just do it one more time? Children, obey your parents. In the, Lord, in the Lord, for this is right. This is right. Ephesians 6, 1. And what God says is we take those people that God has placed over us, and if we will listen to them and obey them, then they will help us live the best life possible. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may return to your seats. Thank y'all. Y'all were super this morning. God in His infinite wisdom and power has composed the body of Christ, the church, and our church, so that every member of our church and of every church is significant and has a role to play.
We as the church are like the components of a what. We're working together to accomplish our purpose. Just as the gears and the components and parts in a watch, they all move together and move in unison to achieve one thing. In that same way, each generation in our church works together, side by side, in unison, to achieve unity of purpose and of life. Each generation in our church has specific roles and gifts and talents in which they are responsible and get the privilege to serve and to give and to pour out within the body of Christ. Generation to generation. I have been blessed in my life uh, to have the generations that have gone ahead of me to set uh, the pace and the pattern of how I ought to live out my faith. And I think many of you in this room would say the same, that you had grandparents, that you had parents uh, that modeled the kind of life that God would want us to live out. And I, I was blessed particularly with my mother's parents, my grandparents on my mother's side who modeled the Christian life for me and then obviously have had uh, uh, parents that have done the same. Quite honestly, in my life, I, I look at it like this now. And even though last Sunday I talked about six living generations in America, in my life it really comes down to my parents' generation, to my generation, my children's generation now, and now my grandchildren's generation. So, um, I know that as I get older, that the baton is being passed to me from my grandparents' generation. My grandparents are now deceased. My parents. And it is now my turn to begin to pass down the faith. Uh, I mean, I've already done so in my children's life, but now I have the opportunity in my grandchildren's life and in my children's life still. Uh, that is a part of the way God designed the generations. That as we have lived the faith, that then we pass down the faith to the generations that are coming behind us. Uh, I had a little bit of reaction last week when I gave my little presentation about the six living generations. There were a few people that had to bend my ear this week, and that's all right. Uh, you know, we talked about the greatest generation that uh, really passed through the Depression in their, in their formative years and then went off and, and won uh, World War II. And we talked about the silent generation that was the generation that was born during the Great Depression and World War II. And then uh, that's kind of my grandparents' generation, my parents' generation, and then my generation, the baby boomers, uh, born from post-World War II to about 1964. And then uh, you went from the baby boomers to the baby busters. Uh, oh, this is off the top of my head. 64, 65 to the early 80s, we will say. Generation X. Uh, really for me, though, my, because I'm a late baby boomer, my children are 
millennials born uh, from the early 80s till about the year 2000. And then there is now the generation that we just put question marks on last week, Generation Z, born since the turn of the century. We don't really know all about them. Um, but it's kind of been interesting to get some of y'all's reaction from some of these things. And I want you to know that these are generalizations, okay? <laughs> I'm not pigeonholing you and say, oh, that's the way you are because you were born in those years. I did it so that we would understand that there are differences between the generations. Part of that is in which the days in which you were born and the historical events that were going on in your formative years, maybe as you were a child or a teenager or for sure in your early 20s, whether that was world, the Great Depression or World War II or a great time of prosperity or the Vietnam War, uh, you know, the internet, all of the technology today, all of those things affect the way uh, we look at life. And so some of the differences between the generations are simply the day in which you were born, but also the differences in the generation is the, is the stage of life that you are in right now. And one of the things I've explained to my children recently is, no, I have lived the life that you are living now. I've been in that stage of life, and now I'm at another stage of life. And so what I'm saying is, I've lived your life, and now I'm living my life, and I might have a perspective on the life that you are now living. But I don't ever say it in that tone of voice. Because sarcasm is not something that we utilize at our house. I say it, I, I, maybe so. And most of those conversations don't have anything to do with Jesus. It tends to do with my flesh. Oh, see, he got me there. He threw him off my notes. Yeah. Um, I say all of that to say that we have to understand the differences between the generations. But the point is this, that the generations that have gone ahead are responsible for, in the spiritual realm, are responsible for responsible for passing down the faith to the generations that go before or behind them. The generations that have gone ahead have a responsibility to pass down the faith to those generations that are coming behind them. It is our responsibility. Uh, and today as we celebrate and honor our senior adults, what I say is that the older we get, the greater opportunity we have to affect the people that are behind us because there are more generations. Whether that's our children's generation, our grandchildren's generation, some of you great-grandchildren's generation. The older we get, the greater opportunity we have to affect those that come behind us. For us as a church... It is critical uh, that we reach and we connect with the generations that are coming up. That's part of the simple message of all of these messages these weeks when I'm preaching generation to generation. We have to understand it is critical. It is not enough for me and my generation to live out our faith. We must pass it on to the next and the little cliche I know 
but Christianity is one generation from becoming extinct. If we do not pass it down, then when we die, it will be over. We have to pass down our faith. And so, in our church, we have talked about for a number of years that there must be a strategic focus on children and on youth. <laughs> what occurs to me in the last several months as a pastor and as I get older is that our church and the church in general also has to have a strategic focus on the generation that we would call the millennials because the millennials are the ones who are raising the children and the youth I'm telling you there has to be a strategic focus at Huntington First Baptist Church on the up-and-coming generation of adults that we can call Millennials we have a responsibility to develop them into the leaders because in a couple decades they will be in our position it will be their church and it'll be a question of what did we do in their lives to prepare them uh, for that time and really the life that they live now here's the great thing about the Millennials they have I mean it just it is so awesome and it's not always true in every generation but for the millennial generation they have a deep desire for community community is important they can wow no the church in fact our our uh, mark of the month we have 12 marks of the disciple that we're highlighting one each month this year our mark of the month is committed to community We'll be talking about that. But the great thing is that ties in with the millennial generation that says, no, it's about relationship. It's not so much about career, making a lot of money, baby boomers. No, it's about community. And so that's something we tie into in the Christian life. Uh, another great thing about the millennials is they have high ideals. Uh, <laughs> Quite honestly, there's been some cynical generations before them. But generally, the millennials have high ideals. They want to see the world differently. They want the world to be a different place. And, and it ties in to really the third thing I would say that's, that's great about the millennials is they want to make an impact. They want to make a difference. And we have to celebrate that as a church to say, we have a generation that is committed to community. They're, they're searching for that. The church is the place that offers them genuine community. They have high ideals that leads them to that next thing that says, no, they want to make an impact. And what do we do? What is it? How does that parallel with what we are about as a church? Because we give them an opportunity to make an eternal impact, to make a difference in the world. So we as a church have to, we have to raise up that generation. And I'm saying all that for you to process this because it, it affects who we are the way we do church and what our strategy is let me say this today I want to go ahead and get through this point <laughs> there are concessions that we make 
for the sake of the generations that come behind us. Hmm. The older I get, what I realize is that it's not about me. Papa D's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to be okay. It's not about me. It's about, for me, it's my kids' generation and my grandkids' generation. If you wonder why we do worship the way we do worship at our church, it's because of those generations. And for my generation and my parents' generation, we've been on the road longer. We've, we've run the gamut of music and styles of churches. No, we've lived a bunch of years. We've seen it all. And you know what? We've been at it longer. And it's more important that we connect with and we reach those generations that are below us instead of worrying about us. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just telling you. We have to. Because we have to connect and we have to reach those generations that come behind us. The classic example in Scripture of an intergenerational relationship is the relationship between Paul and Timothy. And I want us to think about that this morning. I've got some scriptures I want to read and I want to talk to you about some things. But the point is, just like Paul, I have to instigate relationships with those that are the generations that come behind me. And I have to invest my time and my teaching into those generations that come behind me. And I must involve in ministry those generations that come behind me. In order for me to pass down the faith, this is what I see in Paul's life. I, I looked at it and I thought, wow, Paul and Timothy, you know, that's it. So what was it that Paul did? He instigated a relationship with Timothy. He invested his time and his teaching in Timothy. And then he, he passed off the work of ministry. He involved Timothy in the work of ministry. He had seen Paul do it, but Paul said, no, I need you now to go, mm, you go and do this. You, you do it. I'm not going to be there. You, you, you go and do it. Um, and I would say to us, that serves as a pattern for us and answers the question, how do I pass down my faith? Now, let me say this. There's another sermon in this series. And so there's some things you're going to think, well, wait a second, he missed this whole part. And probably what you're thinking I'm going to come up, I'm going to talk about next week because next week, if you don't know, it's Mother's Day, okay? It's a big day, okay? Somebody birthed you. 
honor her next Sunday. But we're going to talk about we're going to talk about how we pass down our faith in our families to our children and our grandchildren. Okay, that's next week. I want to talk about there have to be other relationships. In fact, it's what I started this whole sermon series with when I talked about an uncle that I had, that my last uncle that passed away, my Uncle Bill, and talking about how he filled in some gaps in my life. Obviously, I had a father, I had grandfathers, I had other men, Sunday school teachers, coaches, all those kind of people in my life. But my Uncle Bill was one of those guys that filled in the gaps to show me what it looked like to live a Christian life as a man. Okay? He was one of my role models. We're going to talk about that. This Sunday, there have to be some people within the body of Christ that fill in those gaps, and that's what I see in Paul and Timothy. First thing we see is that Paul instigated a relationship with Timothy in Acts chapter 16. This is how that relationship happened. It says in Acts 16, uh, then he being Paul, came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And here it is, verse 3. Paul wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So Paul is traveling. This is the second missionary journey. Actually, in the first missionary journey, Paul also passes through the hometown of Timothy that would have been Lystra. Next Sunday, we'll talk about his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice, from 2 Timothy chapter 1. But surely on that first missionary journey, as Paul preached the gospel and established the church in Lystra, Timothy, his mother, and his grandmother were led to faith. And now about two years have passed, and Paul has come back. And I think that Paul must have seen something in Timothy, some potential. And so as they come, and Paul teaches, and he checks on the church, he sees this young man, and uh, for whatever reason, you know, God leading him, he said, no, Timothy, I want you to come with me to do the work of ministry, to do what I'm doing. And he invites him, and, and this is what we see in the Scripture, is that for almost the next 20 years, Paul and Timothy are in this working relationship, mentoring relationship, however you want to look at it, for almost 20 years. And it all started from this time in which Paul said, I want you to come with me. And what he meant was he traveled with him. And I, I don't know that Timothy did anything at the first, but he watched what Paul did, how he conducted himself, how he taught, and then the mentoring continued from there. What I see in the Scripture is that Paul instigated that relationship he found a young man obviously led of the Lord to say no I want I want to invest which is gonna be the second point in your life but I want you to come and be with me that Paul initiated instigated that relationship I would contend this morning in the church 2,000 years later it has to be the same 
as we progress in our life stage, there comes points where we have to say, it's not about me, and it's not even about my contemporaries. It's about the generation that comes behind me, and we have to begin to pour in and connect with that relationship. And it starts by instigating. I want you to get this. I believe this ought to happen naturally, organically in the church today that you find young men, young women that you come in a relationship with. Obviously there's friendship, but then there's discipleship and there's just life that you connect with. Uh, this is essential for us to raise up the leaders of the next generation. Now what I would say at this point is that it is more comfortable for us to stay in our own generation because they're people like us. They're at the, probably at the same stage of life. They were raised kind of in the same way. We are more comfortable with our people of our generation but so many times God leads us to do things that are uncomfortable because it's not about me and it's not about now, but it's about them and it's about the future. It's about tomorrow. The first thing that Paul did is he instigated a relationship with Timothy. The second thing he did is he invested his time and his teaching in Timothy. I don't know. We could read a lot of scriptures. I'm going to read some from 1 Timothy uh, we're going to read from 2 Timothy next Sunday. But as they established a relationship together, then Paul invested his time and his teaching into Timothy's life. Uh, I don't want to rush past the first one, which is time. Uh, I, I, I liken this to parenting. So much of parenting is not that we sat down and we taught our kids, okay, this is a time we're going to teach you and this is what we're, these are life lessons. No, let me tell you, the most valuable teaching moments in life come quite unexpectedly. When circumstances arise and you go, oh, wow, we've got to make a point right here. What the preacher would say, we're just going to pitch a tent. We're going to stay here for just a minute. The lady at Walmart didn't charge us for a pan that we paid for, and we didn't realize it until we got home. No, kids, we're loading back up in the car, and we're going back to Walmart. And let me tell you, Walmart doesn't really care. And for, to give them money for something you've already left the store with, they don't even know what to do with. But anyhow, I'm saying it's just life lessons, in the, in, in, and it's all about time. And so some of it is just spending time with someone of, the, of a generation that is coming behind you and, and invariably life will bring the lessons out. But the second thing is, no, we need to invest our teaching. And so there are things about life, there are things about our faith that we, we speak to them. And I think we would have seen that. So obviously Paul and Timothy had a lot of time together because they, they didn't spend the last, those 20 years together, but they were connected and knew where each other were for all of that time, just like a parent would with a child. Um, the thing that strikes me, and we see this in, uh, in when, when Paul writes 1 Timothy, and what we see is Timothy, Paul sees Timothy as his son, not as a contemporary, 
Paul had contemporaries. If, if you read the book of Acts, he started with Barnabas. Mm. Barnabas and Paul. Mm. We like besties. You know, we are the same generation, born at the same time. Our mamas went to school together and stuff like that, you know. And then he had Silas after he and Barnabas split. Silas, and I think Silas would have been of the same generation. There comes a point in that second missionary journey, I don't know if there's this big light bulb moment or what it is, that Paul says, it's not enough for me to to bring my posse along and say, hey, we're going to go and we're going to do this, that he thought, no, sooner or later I've got to invest in somebody who's of the generation that's coming behind me because someday me and my boys are going to be gone. And there has to be somebody that's coming behind us. That he goes, Timothy, he saw potential in him. And he begins to invest his time and his teaching in him. But he sees him not as so much a brother, but as a son. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he says to Timothy, a true son in the faith. That's how he addresses him. 1 Timothy, we're going to roll through these pretty fast, Brother Steve. 1 Timothy 1, 18, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. In chapter 4, 1 Timothy, verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And then in chapter... So you see that he's, he talks about him as being younger, youth. And he, he kind of continues that in verse 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, he says to Timothy, the young man, the son in the Lord, Do not rebuke an older man. What Paul is saying, don't rebuke someone of my generation that's older than you, an elder, but exhort him as a father. And see the younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So what is, what is he showing here? No, He was of a different generation. He called him a son. I am like a father to you. And he, he says that in another scripture. But he was investing his time and his teaching in him. And finally he says, 1 Timothy 6.20. This is one of his last exhortations in 1 Timothy. Oh, Timothy! Exclamation point. Guard what was committed to your trust. In fact, this word, uh, committed to your trust, it's actually just one word in the Greek. Uh, he uses it several times to talk to Timothy. And it's a word that means to entrust somebody with uh, money like a bank. I'm going to entrust you to keep this for me. And Paul says, what I've done with my life, my time and my teaching, is I have entrusted you with this, the faith, and guard it. And what he's going to say later is, I need you to pass it down. And the things that you've learned from me, pass the men who will be able to teach other men who will be able to teach other men and pass it down. I've entrusted this to you. I've poured my life into you. I have, in, in, what we do with the bank, we invest well, probably not the best investment today. But anyhow, that's off the subject. I've made an investment in you. I've committed this to your trust. And what I would challenge you as a church is that we must get out of our own generation. Yes, it takes work. It takes effort. There's not as much connection as our generation. And you know, this is what I think the key is. And this is why it's actually healthy for us. Because when you take somebody of a different generation, I think you begin to think about what are the timeless truths 
that I teach. You know, if you're of the same generation, you kind of get each other. You were maybe raised in the church at the same time, and, and there's certain things you just, you're at the same stage of life, and it's just... But when you take somebody who's different, what you realize is that a lot of your faith may have cultural trappings that are like, oh, that was for my day. And I think you've got to think about not as what what is what not as what is the generational expression of my faith but what are the timeless truths that I teach the next generation I don't know if that makes any sense or not but I think it's healthy for us to begin to evaluate our faith when we're passing it down it's almost like coaching someone you've got to maybe you just knew how to do it but you got to think through it's like okay wait a second what do I teach this child about hitting the softball or whatever it is. I've got I to think through this. Maybe I just I was taught, but I've kind of forgotten how do I teach someone, and there's a difference there. You've got to think about what the timeless truths are. We invest in the, next, in the generations that come behind us with our time and our teaching. And finally, what we see Paul did is that he involved Timothy in the work of ministry. So he instigated a relationship with him. He invested in him, his time and his teaching. And Hudson's about to get a little teaching right now. See, that's, a, that's what you do. You're about to invest in that little child. No. Uh, but there comes a point where you then involve them in the work of ministry. I don't have time to lay all this out this morning. But what we see in the life of Paul is after several years... Paul began to send out Timothy to do the work of ministry. He had learned from Paul. He had watched Paul. But there was a point where it's like, no, tag, you're it. I need you to go and do this. And so we see these in the writings of Paul. In fact, there is no other person that is mentioned more in the writings of Paul than Timothy. I mean, other than like Jesus or something like that, you know. Um... Timothy is just laced throughout the writings of Paul. So 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, he says to the Corinthians, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. He's my boy. He'll tell you the way it is. When Paul couldn't be there, he sent Timothy. We looked at this last year when we were studying Philippians, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, Paul says to the Philippians, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. And then finally one, just to illustrate this point in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says to the Thessalonican, Thessalonians, I'm sorry, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God 
and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you in your faith. Paul put Timothy to work. He involved him in the work of ministry. And we see this throughout the writing. There comes a point, it, will, it is true of our church, that we have to pass the reins of leadership to those who come behind us. That's what Paul did to Timothy. And there's a scene at the end of their, their life, right before Paul dies. He writes the book of 2 Timothy, which we're going to look at next Sunday. Scholars say, no, this is 2 Timothy. That was the last book. So as far as we know, Paul's last correspondence is to his dear assistant young man, Timothy. He has left Timothy in Ephesus, one of the really prominent churches that Paul had established. Paul is in prison in Rome. Timothy is in Ephesus. He's pastoring that church. I, Paul said, I established it. You know how to do this. I've taught you. You've seen the teaching. You know it. Pass it on. He's sitting there to take care of things in Ephesus. And he writes the letter from prison in Rome. And uh, one of the things that strikes me is Chapter 4, the last chapter. Mm. That's where Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. I want you to know that it's important how we run our lives, how we run the race. Because there are people, whether we are investing in their life or we are instigating relationship with, in their life, they are watching us. And we, we, are, we are connecting and communicating something by the way that we live our lives as we get older and the generations that come behind us are watching us. And I would say to you, watch the way you live. Because it not only affects your life, it affects those who are coming behind you, whether you realize it or not. But that's, I don't have time to preach that anymore, that sermon. You got it? So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I don't know, it's, it's haunting words. I read them again this morning. It's like, Paul says, at my first hearing, my first trial, everybody forsook me. Demas has gone off. This guy's gone off. Only Dr. Luke is here with me. Everybody else has scattered in the midst of the persecution and the strife. And really some of Paul's last words, he, he basically says, Timothy, come. As soon as you can come, come. And then he says later in that chapter, he says, make every effort to come before winter. We don't really know. But we know after that that Paul was beheaded. And Timothy must have thought, tag, I'm it. Paul's gone. <laughs> Paul had prepared Timothy for that day. He instigated a relationship with him. He invested his time in his, his teaching. And he involved him in the work of ministry. He had him practice for that day. Because it's true for each one of us, the day will come, that it'll be our last. And the only thing that will survive in the Christian faith will be what we have passed down to those generations that go before us. And so I encourage you, 
that as God leads you, you find those people that you will instigate a relationship with and that you will invest your time and your teaching. As a part of that teaching, you will have them put into practice what you've learned, the lab part of the course. And I believe in that way we use Paul and Timothy as a model and example of how we pass down our faith. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Uh, this morning as I'll be at the front, Byron will be at the front. Uh, I genuinely ask that you would ask God in the silence in your own own mind and heart today, God, who is it that you've placed in my life that I, in a generation ahead, need to invest in? Um, the altar's open this morning as God leads you. If you need a church family and this is where God's led you, then we ask you to, to come. If you need to know Christ and step across the line of faith today, we, Byron and I can talk with you about that. And uh, Maybe you need to make that decision public through baptism we also invite you to make that public but this is our time to respond to what it is that God has said to us today so the altar is open